you fat slob. Let's see if you have any guts. <laughs> Pull up a chair to the Blood Feast, an audio buffet of cinematic mayhem and culinary carnage, featuring your host, The Cook. Ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Welcome to the uh, Blood Feast podcast. I'm your host, Rob. I am joined by my new co-host, Mark. Hello, Mark. Greetings. (laughs) Greetings. <laughs> we are here today to start a new chapter in the short-lived story of the Blood Feast podcast already. My other stalwart co-hosts, Sparky and Godzilla, are locked out of the room because too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, today we're going to be talking about 1999's black comic, according to Wikipedia, masterpiece, according to me, I guess, Ravenous, starring Guy Pierce, Robert Carlyle, and every other character actor in the known universe. Uh, Jeffrey Jones from Ferris Bueller, uh, the one other guy who's probably in about 45 episodes of Law and & Order, and Private Upham from Save It Prior Ryan, basically recapitulating that role. Uh, so Mark, why don't you give us a little rundown on the, uh, the plot of Ravenous for our listeners to who may have not seen it. Well, I guess plot is a relative term, especially with this kind of movie. Um, you know, even in thinking about how I'm going to convey this, I started having flashbacks of trying to explain Kroll to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and how successful were you at that? Oh, now, talking about Kroll should never be done sober. <laughs> I don't think anything involving Kroll should ever be done sober. So, in a nutshell, the movie starts off like a typical um, Civil War, it's actually the Mexican-American War uh, era film, right around 1947, or not, I mean, sorry, 1847, <laughs> um, where Guy in this damned if you do damned if you don't situation, which kind of follows him through the whole movie where he, uh, chickens out of actually fighting in, in a particular battle, hides himself among the dead. And in this spring of courage, the single handedly takes over this Mexican battalion. Uh, and he's relaying this to his captain, at some headquarters where I don't even think they say where the headquarters are. Um, and so since he's getting, he gets, he gets, I'm sorry. I'm like stuttering here. It's quite all right. He, uh, (laughs) is awarded for winning the battle, but immediately thereafter, he's transferred because of his cowardice to some remote outpost in the Sierra Nevada. So he gets there and finds this ragtag of soldiers who um, are pretty much standard caricatures of movie characters. I mean, you have David Arquette as your typical stoner. You have Jeremy Davies as 
the the token god boy. You have um uh what is his name? Um Neil McDonough as Private Reich, the token hard ass, and they're <laughs> all led by the strangely amiable Jeffrey Jones. Now, as he before he could even settle in there, uh, a battered up hillbilly shows up at camp, who is Robert Carlyle, who relays a story about how he and a group he was traveling with are headed to California and they got stuck in the mountains and they ran out of food and they started eating the dead and there was a, uh, a woman among them whose life he feared for so he left to come find help before she got eaten. Uh, as it turns out, this is a big trap. Chaos ensues and you know most of the battalion ends up dead at the hands of Robert Carlyle. And then fast forward a little bit um, with uh, Guy Pierce, the only survivor of this massacre. He comes back to the fort and finds that the people who have taken over the fort already know Robert Carlyle's character and he's some kind of commanding officer. <laughs> and things just get even weirder from there i mean that's the best i can do (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's about right in that like it's kind of hard to describe it without like describing literally every detail because it's it's like there's not much plot to the movie like it's it's mostly well the thing most of that which i described takes place in the course of like 15 minutes oh yeah it's (laughs) It's definitely like it's a lot of more a lot more of like incident versus story and it's more like like most of the movie is like mood setting and like sort of kind of more like trying to evoke something than telling a story and it's it's a bizarre movie like I one thing doing a little bit of the research or like looking into it like the director that is credited as Antonia Bird was actually brought in like three weeks after filming started because the original director was clashing with the producers and wanted to like, like before he even started shooting, wanted two extra weeks to shoot and the studio said no. So they ended up coming in and firing him and she ended up being brought on board because the studio, the studio's original replacement was the guy that ended up directing like Scooby-Doo and like the Smurfs movie uh, and all these other movies, the, the when they brought this original replacement, the cast was like, no, like we this guy we don't for whatever reason they didn't say, but they like we don't want this guy directing the movie. And I'm like, frankly, knowing I, maybe they were so into the future and saw okay, this guy's probably going to direct a Scooby Doo and a Smurfs movie, movie about cannibals may not be up his thematic alley. So oh, see, I never even mentioned the cannibal aspect. See, so you went and gave us a spoiler. Oh. <laughs> For a 16-year-old movie. Listeners, I apologize. You know, if I have spoiled a movie for you that has been on Netflix for like three years, my apologies. Um, Yeah, there's cannibalism in this movie. Uh, But yeah, so this director, they brought her in, and like we were talking earlier, you said it looks like, it almost like portions of it look like two movies. So I think they probably did end up using some of the other guy's footage, because it's... 
like Wikipedia describes it as a black comedy, but there's there's like black comic there are black comic elements, but none of it is really funny. It's it's a weird fucking movie. Like it's strange. Its tone is really really bleak, but it's handled in a really light way. It's weird. I I, I hate to say it, but the only part that I actually laughed out loud at was when um, Guy Pierce was talking to the Indian guy and he was comparing the Wendigo myth to Christianity. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's probably because I'm assuming you're an atheist. Anything (laughs) involving Christianity is just inherently funny. (laughs) Well, that's what's funny. Like, I thought it was... It struck me. I saw this. I actually got to see this on the screen when it was released, and I didn't like it. Like, I think because I was expecting more of like a straight up horror movie, because it was like, ooh, cannibals. Like, that's the kind of stuff I like. You know, I like seeing. Eh, fuck it. I like horror movies. That's why I do this. And it's not. It has elements of horror. It has elements of comedy. It's got drama. It's got like it's almost it's more of a I would say it's probably more of like a thriller, but it doesn't even really fit that. It's like a weird existential meditation on like courage and fear, you know. Because like the whole Wendigo myth, like that's like the Wendigo gets its power by like you know eating another eating a human and it assumes that person's like spirit power, and that's like what Robert Carlyle is like as a cannibal he does and he sees in Guy Pierce like Guy Pierce is a coward. It's, you know, who's been rewarded with being stuck in this outpost. He, like, kind of, he becomes a hero because he's a coward. Like, if he hadn't have fucking played dead, he wouldn't have been able to uh, overthrow, you know, or take over that Mexican, that platoon. So, it's it's a fucking, it's a strange movie. You know, and and it was weird, too. I think part of the reason I didn't like it is, like, Guy Pearce, I had just seen him in L.A. Confidential, where he plays, like, this clean-cut hero type. And it was totally the... uh, Like, this character was kind of the total opposite of that. Like, the last thing he wanted to do was be a hero. He just wanted to be fucking left alone. To kind of hide. Well, I, I, I feel he kind of played that off really well. I mean, it was a complex atmosphere they threw him in as a character actor i mean how do you reconcile all that mania oh yeah still maintain um uh, some level of professionalism (laughs) (laughs) well i it's like now i like watching the movie again for this like i actually like it like i appreciate it more i still don't I don't necessarily grasp everything or like, like I can't quite tell what other than being, like I said, a weird meditation on like curry, you know, bravery versus cowardice. Like, uh, you know, I don't know. Like I, I, I like it. I'm not sure why I know why I like it. Like, like Robert Carlyle's character, like he's a reprehensible person you know, he's basically like this misanthropic, opportunistic cannibal who's like looking for any way he can to find more people to eat. But he's so charismatic. Like, he's awesome. Like, he's. Right, but at the end of the movie, you're still wondering because they never explain where he came from in the first place. Well, yeah, like, that's, that's that ambiguity. Like, 
is he at like there was a point in the movie where I started to wonder like is he a fucking Wendigo like is he like a spirit demon or is he a real human being and that's not even you know at the end of the movie you get a nominal answer but not really well that's kind of some, something I, I started thinking about too after well, in preparing for this after watching the movie again too was I, I wonder if in the subtext they're trying to say that Guy Pierce and Robert Carlyle are the same person well yeah, well yeah, that's that's a good point. Like I mean they you know, spoiler alert, they die in each other's arms. You know? And it's Yeah, because like at that scene too, when they died, there's something not just satisfying but almost heartwarming about that dead that death embrace. Oh yeah. Absolutely, yeah. They're like it's like it's it's brought their two halves together. It's America's first gay marriage in a bear trap. <laughs> and they died it's you know I, it's it's cool it's one I could definitely like see revisiting because there is so much kind of going on underneath and then and with the other like with the stock characters even like like none of them like fucking Reich was like the uber soldier and he was even like and his death was like true death by misadventure like this guy who's like the one true soldier dies fucking falling ass backwards over a cliff. Yeah, he they, were, they kind of <laughs> set him up to be like the Rambo of the group, and they just often often like that. And I think if if I had a fault with any part of the film, it was that partic- that particular segment where they just introduced all these guys individually, you know, set them up as members of this camp uh, and gave them some form of motivation, whatever it be. And then just bang, 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 killed them all. Oh yeah. Except for the stoner who didn't go on the little quest. It was. It's so weird because, <laughs> like David Arquette. I mean, it's like you, David Arquette has like this history of being like a fucking manic weirdo, and he kind of is in this movie, but he's not given like enough screen time to like really let that flower, and he just seems like off kilter, like semi-mentally like disabled (laughs) like he's not like he's high but that doesn't explain everything's going on there like there's clearly something wrong with him mentally and emotionally but you don't really you don't really learn anything about him you know he just kind of disappears and then like the christian guy who's the same the same actor that played like private album and saving private ryan basically plays the same character and it's and they thankfully off him quickly because I hate that guy. Like he was, <laughs> I was so happy when he got stabbed to death in fucking Saving Private Ryan. I was cheered. I cheered for the Nazi. I cheered for the Nazi in that fucking movie because of him. That was the one time. I'm not a Nazi. Just being clear, it was only situational Nazism. Uh, like I hate that guy. I don't. I just and he played the same character, so I was happy to see him. You know. <laughs> His like wimpy little milk toast Bible banger get a uh, sent up the river rather quickly. Well, that's the thing kind of my, that I kind of wonder too is um, has Neil McDonough, Private Reich, you know the the Rambo guy, has he ever played like a straight up good guy? I don't think so. Because even he came across as off kilter, like potentially he could have been gone. He could have been the one going on the uh, this murderous rampage. Oh yeah, like he's <laughs> he was definitely like. But I don't think I've ever seen him in anything where he played a straight up nice guy. I like I know a lot of people know him from 
uh, when he was on Desperate Housewives, and he was a jerk on that too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying, like, what's? I'm trying to think of like I can't think of. Oh, he's a Minority Report. He always plays kind of a dick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he always is. Oh yeah, Paul Blart Mall Cop too. I got sucked into seeing that one because I have a child. That was fucking terrible. He was terrible. He was an asshole in that. Like, yeah, every he always plays like kind of a cocksucker. I think he would per like he's if they if they ever remake T two, he would be a perfect Robert Patrick. He's like so weirdly cold and Aryan looking. Well, yeah, you you bring that up. you mentioned Nazis earlier, and you just bring up his Aryan looks. I mean, he, he's a blonde he's a blonde with blue eyes, and in the movie, his character's name is Private Reich. Yeah, that's a little on, a little on the nose, just a little. I can see that, like you know, probably in like rehearsals. I got an idea, guys. Let's change the character's name to Reich. Because yeah, I hear that one. He's definitely like that. That one was like you might as well just have a billboard set up in the woods behind that guy because that is clearly what they were going with. And I did. I mean, that's the one thing I did like the acting in this. Like Jeffrey Jones is really good. It's very like low key role for him compared to like the other stuff he had done at that point. Yeah, well, there's a there's a sincerity to his performance that you don't really see in anything else he's done because I mean, what other stuff has he done where he could actually be a human being? I mean, oh, come yeah. on, he's he. Everybody knows him for Ferris Bueller and Howard the Duck and and uh, if you if you're delving more into obscurity, stay tuned where he played the devil. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be something that only you know. <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, like, I mean, in Beetlejuice, he's kind of sympathetic, but not really. Like, you don't really care that much about his character. But this one is like, he seems like a per. he's like, actually seems like a character who's trying to do, like, the one character in the whole movie that's actually trying to do the right thing. You know, in spite of everything else. And then, and then Robert Carlyle, like, it's, it's, Seeing him, like, for, I was convinced for a while that he might actually be a psychopath in real life. <laughs> because his performance is Begbie in Train Spotting, and then this, it was just like, he's a charismatic short little dude. You know, he's got acting range. Like, it's just like, when you walk, he walked in that movie, his movie, he's like, okay, is he going to break a beer bottle off in somebody's neck? No, he's going to eat them instead. <laughs> and when he, when I saw him in the full Monty, I was like, this can't be the same guy. Like he's, he's got this crazy natural charisma that like comes through like incredibly well in every role. Like, and that's, he's his character. And this is almost likable. Right. And now he makes his bread and butter to re retelling Disney stories. in once upon a time, that just blows my mind. Like I can't even conceive of that. Like, I just like, don't get sucked into bad TV. Like, stay making these weird-ass little movies, because he's so good in them. You know, which I saw a Ken Loach movie where he played, like, just a like a working-class guy once, and it was, like, he was, really, it was very similar, like a downbeat kind of characterization, like, working-class, like, sort of the opposite of the full Monty character. But still, like, really, really good. Like, I think that's what ultimately carries the movie over pretty well is the acting. Is, a uh, is a pretty high caliber for being sort of like a sort of high concept B movie. Now there's one thing, and I didn't notice this and look this up until today. There's one thing that kind of, um, puts a little crinkle in the whole plot of the, of the Wendigo 
And that's uh, that the story of the Wendigo is an Algonquin Indian myth, which was primarily on the East Coast. (laughs) So so we inserted this little plot twist just because we had an Indian thing that we could stick in here. (laughs) Oh, man. Honestly, though, I think they may, you know, um, I know you're not a comic book person, but um, Wolverine first appeared in a Hulk comic that was about the Wendigo. (laughs) So I kind of wonder if they just took the story from the X-Men comic book and said, hmm, (laughs) this will fit our mythos pretty well. We, We don't need to look into it or anything. All Indian myths are the same. That, you know, I know overall, I mean, what would you be your verdict on this movie? Well, back then, I thought it was so, at a time where there were so few messed up horror movies coming out, uh, I would have given it a four and a half back then. But on a rewatch and trying, and actually trying to wrap my head around it, it kind of downgraded to about a three and a half. Yeah. <laughs> I would say what it's I want. It's still fun, but it's it doesn't make it make make, make much sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say like when I watched it the first time, I'd probably say like a two, just because I was it wasn't what I expected. Like the trailers made it seem like a straight up like balls out kind of horror movie, which at the time we were getting a shitload of just like teen centered horror movies, like you know scream sequels and. Uh, you know, I know what you did last summer and stuff like that. And so to see something that was not focused around high school kids, I was like excited to see it. And then I saw it and I was like, okay, I don't get this. So, you know, and I, so I, I get, I don't get it. And I don't like it. Rewatching it now. Like I think I, I grasp it a little better than I did. And like now just why I appreciate the performances, I'd probably give it a four. Like I think it stands up. I'd watch it again. I'll probably be confused about it till the day I die. <laughs> which would not be the first and only thing that will confuse me till the day I die. So, I would have to give it a four. I would go with a four now. I'll rewatch it again, definitely. They have it, Scream Factory has a Blu-ray of it. I don't know that I'd ever buy it. Um, I don't ever watch extras, you know. I never, very rarely ever watch any of the, the extras. The only ones I watch extras for are John Carpenter movies. Because I think whoever he does, like, when he did the Escape from New York one, I think he and Kurt Russell were probably really fucking high and drunk. So they were just shooting the shit with each other while the movie played. Did you ever watch the commentary on Big Trouble in Little China? No. Kurt Russell was drunk from start to finish. See, that's... If you're going to do, like, if you're going to make... If you're going to distract me from the movie I'm trying to watch, have it be fun. Make it more fun than the movie. Make me want to listen to the commentary. Like, I just... I don't ever listen to commentaries. I don't watch behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, if they have, like, still galleries or they'll have, like... If they have, like, the animatics and, like, you know, like... If they just something written that I can read real quick, I might do that. But I never watch any of those little shorts. I just have... I don't know. It's fucking stupid of me like movies are magic like i just like watching i like watching and being entertained and if it's less entertaining if i know everything about what happened behind the scenes one last thing uh sorry last thing i forgot to mention about the downgrade of my my point um not my point my uh, my grading of the movie uh i've also become 
a big fan of film scores over the years and listen intently to the music. Oh, yeah. I the music in this movie was really good, but if you're watching the film, the music is mixed a little too high where it almost gets in the way of some of the action. Yeah. That's, That's something tr- else that kind of didn't sit well with me as I was watching it. I was surprised, too. It's uh, uh, Damon Albarn from Blur and one other guy. And Michael Nyman, it's, who's it's... known for his work with uh, Peter Green, I believe. Okay. Yeah, you're the... I forgot to mention, Mark is a huge score and soundtrack nerd. Uh, so he writes for the Examiner on scores. I'll start posting links to his stuff on that too. Um, yeah, we forgot to talk about the score. Like, I like the score, but it was there were moments where it was intrusive. Like you said, it was a little loud, and the the opening credits were strange because they had like the when they had the the actor. You know, the actors' names and the title crawl come in. There was like this whooshing sound effect, <laughs> which, for a movie that doesn't involve high-speed car chases, yeah, <laughs> was really, really distracting. Well, maybe it was supposed to be like the uh, the windswept mountain, the, the mountain snow, uh, <laughs> blowing their names <laughs> off the screen. Well, I don't. Know. <laughs> it's an interesting theory. <laughs> That was just, that was really weird. Like, I was like, that's definitely dates it to the late 90s right there. <laughs> it was just like this, whoosh. I was like, okay. I didn't know, I don't, I don't think I'd ever noticed that before watching it the other day. I was like, that's kind of strange. But And I think also, if anything contributes to it being considered a comedy, I think the music does that, especially in the beginning portion where Guy Pierce goes to this outpost because it really has an F Troop kind of vibe to it. <laughs> oh, God. It's like kind of like like hokey bluegrassy almost. Yeah, exactly. It's like generic mountain man music. It's it's like what they did with um, uh, 2001 Maniacs. That same kind of music. Oh, God. <laughs> that movie. That Technically better than the 2000 Maniacs, but not much. Well, that's, I don't know. Robert England was great in that. That's another movie about cannibalism, too. That's true. That may be a future, future can- i got to start that list. That's a future, <laughs> I'll write that one down. That's a future can- I, I started writing a handwritten list, and I just wrote, I didn't even write movie titles, I just wrote H.G. Lewis. Because <laughs> you can pretty much pick from any one of those. Uh, I have one of his DVD box sets, actually. I've got the something weird one. With, yeah, like, that's one I have, too. It's got, like, what, Color Me Blood Red and 2000 Maniacs, and what was the first one? Blood Feast. Well, duh, the name of the podcast. <laughs> we got to do that one, too. Wait, 2001 Maniacs, let's add that. Wait, you didn't name it after the late 80s Canadian metal band? No. Oh, wait, they're not Canadian. They weren't Canadian. They were from Jersey, weren't they? <laughs> I can't even remember. It's been so long ago. Uh, yeah, from I Can- haven't seen them twice. Canada, Jersey, eh, same difference. <laughs> same difference. I've been to Wildwood. I've been to Toronto. They look identical. <laughs> Actually, far less half shirts in uh, Toronto. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. We're going to start that list. We're going to start a list of cannibal horror movies, and we're just going to start knocking them down. And then... One thing I, like, on the previous episodes, something we hadn't talked about, so this may fucking, like, hit the ground like a Led Zeppelin, is, like, further reading 
movies like this that you recommend if you like this? Yeah, Some watch bad... Troll. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> because it doesn't make any sense. And you can... All... Because it's just as difficult to explain. Well, he recommends Crawl. I'm going to recommend, and it's the last time, well, okay, the second to last time I'll ever recommend a Jim Jarmusch movie is Dead Man. I don't recommend Crawl. (laughs) Please, don't watch (laughs) Crawl. You know what, just buy James Horner's score for it. Okay. You'll you'll enjoy the score much better than you will the film. (laughs) Well, what's your real recommendation if it's not Crawl? Even though I'm going to put Crawl in the show notes. Um, jeez, I you know what? I can't think of anything. I was gonna say that really bad movie that came out. What was it? Two thousand one called Wendigo. Oh, the Larry Fessenden movie. It was it was like yes. a woman and her kid terrorized by a monster in the Canadian woods? Yeah, it was basically yeah, more or less a rip off of Cujo, but <laughs> recommend. <laughs> You heard it here first. Watch Wendigo. <laughs> if you can find it. Well, that's... I I think if it's the Larry Fessenden movie, they're actually... Somebody's putting out a box set of his movies, like Thirst, and I think Wendigo's on it, and there's one or two other movies in it. Um, I don't know. He's. I like the fact that Larry Fessenden is so into like promoting horror and getting out there. I don't know that I always like his movies that much. Um, like I said, I'm going to recommend Dead Man. It's kind of has like a similar look and feel to it. It's definitely like more meditative and there's not a whole lot happens. I don't know why I'm recommending it because it's a Jim Jarmusch movie that has Johnny Depp in it. Two things that I (laughs) absolutely can't stand, but for some reason I like that movie. Um, It just, those, those two guys are just so to me, so self-important and I just can't stand them. But that movie I do like. I like, you know, the Neil Young score is really good. Uh, and Iggy Pop's weird-ass cameo, and it's pretty awesome. And it takes place in the Old West. Isn't that, a, isn't that an oxymoron? Iggy Pop, weird-ass? Well, <laughs> actually, that's one part of Iggy Pop I've never seen in his ass. <laughs> I've seen his chest and his stomach plenty. And his sweaty, long hair, but I've never seen... Never seen Iggy Pop's ass. Maybe that's where we'll leave that today. You know, the taste thought for the days. If you can, check out Iggy Pop's ass. <laughs> you know, a little, little more you know. Kind of thing going on there. And well, that's sh- one to grow on. That's yeah, exactly. Iggy Pop's ass is one to grow on. From the ABC Bod Squad. Uh, well, shit, I think that's probably a good place for us to wrap it up then. All right, man. Well, thank you for listening to the Blood Feast podcast. I am Rob. And I was Mark. R.I.P. <laughs> we'll be back next time with another another fine, fine movie discussion. You can find us on the internet at... Uh, www.bloodfeastpod.wordpress.com on Twitter at bloodfeastpod uh, there's a Facebook page too I think it's facebook facebook.com slash bloodfeastpod if you search for it you'll find it or look at Twitter because I think the link's there Mark has a Twitter what's your Twitter Mark? 
uh, I believe it's just Mark A. Morton. Mark A. Morton? Not to be confused with the guitar solo of God. Uh, I hopefully you will never be confused with that. Sadly, he has the same name as me. Man, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, you know what? I liked him back when they were Burn the Priest. That um, was. I'm not even going to comment because I don't need to give them any more publicity than they already get. Oh, I'm. That's true. <laughs> that's all I'll say about that matter. I I don't recommend Lamb of God. I recommend Dead Man. Mark recommends Krull. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the Blood Feast, I've been Rob. That's been I Mark. Would... Oh, I'll edit that. I've been Rob, and you've been Mark, and that is all. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs>